This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in the power of your word, and we pray, Lord, that through your word you would grow us and teach us. We pray, Lord, that you would show us the glory of your grace and your mercy. That you would grow our love and our hearts for you. That we would see afresh the magnificence of the work that you have done for us, Lord. And that that would stand us on our feet. And give us that firm foundation to to go out into this world and to spread that good news to others. Father, it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, officially. Let's try that again. Good morning. morning. There you go. It's great to see you all. We're going to be back in 1 Peter, continuing there, if you want to start heading there in your Bibles. I'm not sure if you have ever heard of a scientist named Charles Misner. He was an American physicist that lived in the early 1900s. He worked with Albert Einstein. And even though Mr. Misner was a brilliant scientist, I think one of the more interesting things that he ever wrote was about why Albert Einstein had such a distaste for American preaching. Misner wrote, The design of the universe is very magnificent, and it shouldn't be taken for granted. In fact, I believe that is why Einstein had so little use for organized religion although he strikes me as a very religious man. He must have looked at what the preachers said about God and felt the majesty of the God they spoke of had to be blasphemy. He had seen much more majesty than they had ever imagined. And they were just not talking about the real thing. My guess is that he simply felt the religions he had run across didn't have proper respect for the author of the universe he knew must be. In other words, because of the depth to which Albert Einstein comprehended the universe, he knew that if there was a God he had to be a lot bigger than the God he heard preached. So here's my question for you. Which God do you expect to hear from this morning? Do you expect to hear from a God who would have satisfied Albert Einstein's comprehension of who God must be? Or something less. 
Pastor Kevin DeYoung said regarding this quote from Missner, he said, so many churches present a tiny, manageable, self-help God, but the people out there know that God's not big enough for their problems. In other words, you don't have to be Einstein to be underwhelmed by so much of who our God is presented to be these days. You see, because here's the problem. Whether you're a Christian or not, the one thing every human being has in common is they know something's broken. Every religion, every religion in the world exists to solve this problem. Something is broken in me and in the world around me. Deep down, every person sitting in this room wants something real, something strong, something sure, something glorious to hope in. This is, this is Peter's primary concern at the opening of his letter, and it's what I want to talk to you about this morning. It's hope. Because when our salvation becomes ordinary, regular, we begin to look for hope elsewhere. When what God has done for us becomes ordinary, we begin to look to politicians and to wealth and to any number of other things for the hope we so desperately need. So this morning, I want you to hear this truth. Your salvation is glorious enough to hope in. You, you have a salvation glorious enough to hope in. Remember, Peter is talking to Christians who had been exiled from their homes because of their faith. Many of them have been expelled from, from Jerusalem because there was residual hate uh, of Jesus, and, and, and especially all the commotion that happened after Jesus rose from the dead spilled over onto these people who believed, but moving didn't solve their problems. Maybe they weren't being persecuted in the same way, but they were still being persecuted. They were excluded from society because they were unwilling to worship or acknowledge other gods. They were being harassed for denying the deity of the Roman emperor. You feel like that's growing closer to us today? Well, these Christians were growing weary. Some of them even began to question whether or not the faith that they had chosen was worth it. So Peter uses the first 12 verses of this letter to remind these exile Christians of the hope they have in Christ. Notice at the beginning of verse 10, in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter says, "...concerning this salvation." The salvation he's referring to is the living hope that he said God has caused us to be born again to back in verse 3. But I want you to notice before we even begin this passage this morning, the scope of what Peter is saying in these opening verses. In verses 3 through 5, Peter spoke about the future guarantee of our salvation. It's a living hope that has been kept, is being kept in heaven for our arrival. 
And then in verses 6 through 9, Peter spoke of the present durability of our salvation. It's a living hope that endures the various trials that we experience. And this morning, he's going to describe to us the glorious past of our salvation. Past, present, and future. Before he gives any instructions, Peter wants to stand his readers back up on their feet, knock the dust off of them, and remind us that we have a salvation glorious enough to hope in. So how glorious is our salvation? That's the question we really need to answer, isn't it? Look what Peter says in verse 10 and 11. He says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Now, if it's not obvious to you, to you, I've been laid up these past few weeks, I have had to be served. It's been a very rough go for Shannon. She hates the little bell that I bought to tell her that I need something. I'm just kidding. The truth is, is it's been very difficult for me to allow to others to serve me because I'm a guy. We, we don't like being served. How about you? How are you with being served? Ladies, if you were laid up, how would you feel if some other women needed to come over and clean your house for you? Guys, if you were laid up and you needed some men to put together some money and give it to you to support your family, how would you feel? Peter says that when the prophets inquired about who they were writing about, they were told they were serving you, not themselves. Think about who Peter is talking about. Think about who he is talking about when he says that prophets yearned to know what you know. There was a prophet named Isaiah. And he described being taken up into the throne room of God. He described seeing the train of God's robe and the majesty of him that filled the temple. He described seeing angels that cry out for eternity, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There was another prophet named Jeremiah, and God gave him the power to dismantle nations with just his words. When Jeremiah told Judah, you're done, Judah fell. When Jeremiah told Egypt, you're done, Egypt fell. When Jeremiah told Babylon, you're done, Babylon fell. There was a prophet named Ezekiel who had a little contest one day with some priests of a false god named Baal. The, 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 the challenge was who could pray to their god and get the, him to, to light this pile of wood on fire. So the prophets of Baal marched around this pile all day long and prayed and nothing happened. And then Ezekiel instructed that all the wood be, be soaked with hundreds of gallons of water. And then he prayed, and instantly God consumed all the wood, all the water, and the stones of the altar that the wood was sitting on. There was a prophet named Elijah who never died. He was taken up to heaven in a fiery chariot right in front of his successor, Elisha. And speaking of Elisha, Elisha raised a, farmer, a farmer's boy back from the dead. I could go on, but the point is, these men lived in the very real presence 
of God's power. Yet when, people looks across the, when Peter looks across the landscape of these beleaguered Christians, Christians who felt like outsiders, he says, brothers and sisters, the salvation that you have to hope in is so glorious that prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Elijah and Elisha, they were told that their purpose for existence was to prepare you for the salvation you now have. They thought they were the outsiders, not you. They wanted to know what you know about God, not what they knew. Your salvation is so glorious. The most powerful men in Scripture not only existed to serve you, but yearned to know what you know. So how glorious is your salvation? Because you have a salvation that is so glorious that prophets yearned to comprehend it. That's a salvation glorious enough to hope in. But Peter's not done. Look at what he says at the beginning of verse 12. He says, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So not only is your salvation so glorious that prophets yearn to understand it, but your salvation is so glorious that God personally sent His Spirit to tell you about it. Can you remember who that was? My guess is, is everyone in here who believes can remember who that was that told them about the gospel. And the reason I say that is because I believe what Peter is saying here. Your salvation is so glorious that whether it was your parents or a friend or a pastor or just some random person, your salvation is so glorious that whoever that person was who brought you the good news, they have been burned into your heart as one of the most important people in your life. Maybe that doesn't describe you. Maybe this is the first time you've heard this stuff. Listen, right now what's happening is you are personally experiencing what Peter is writing about. I know you've been looking for this hope. If you're in here this morning and you do not believe in Jesus Christ, I know you are yearning for a hope. I know you've looked to wealth or family or, or other religions for what I'm talking about, and I know that every single one of those have left you wanting. You feel dried up and overwhelmed and desperate. Everything you've placed your hope in has failed, including yourself, and I can tell you why. Because it's way worse than you think. It's way worse than you think. You and this world are profoundly more broken than you can imagine. But the hope of the, this good news that, that Peter is talking about is how the price of your brokenness has been so gloriously paid for by someone else. His name is Jesus, and there is nothing you can do to earn His favor but believe. Nothing. You cannot do anything to earn His favor. He lived a perfect life, and He will give you His righteousness for free. Because death is required for your brokenness, Jesus died on your behalf to pay that price, and He will take that price on Himself for free. 
But because he was righteous, he rose from the grave. The grave couldn't hold him. He beat the grave, victorious over the grave, and he will give you his victory for free. And all he asks is that you believe that is true. Just simply put your trust in him, and that glorious hope is yours forever. Brothers and sisters in Christ, don't ever let that become ordinary to you. You have a salvation so glorious that prophets yearned to comprehend it. You have a salvation so glorious that God sent His Spirit personally to tell you about it. And that's a salvation glorious enough to hope in. So I ask again, how glorious is your salvation? Because Peter's still not done. I want you to imagine something with me. I have a little supply closet in my office. And I want, to imagine, I want you to imagine one day I came to you and I said that I had figured out that if I turn the knob on that closet just right, when I open the door, you can catch a glimpse of heaven. Now bear with me. After the CAT scans and the drug tests and everything came back negative, you took me up on this offer. And you came to my office and I turned the knob just right and I, and I opened that door and you could see a glimpse of heaven. What would my office look like? There would be people trampling each other, just trying to get a glimpse, if even from the back or even outside. Here's the thing, though. Peter says the truth is actually the opposite. Look at the end of verse 12. Speaking of this good news that the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, Peter says, things into which angels long to look. How glorious is the salvation you have to hope in? Not only did prophets yearn to understand it, not only did God send His Spirit personally to you to tell you about it, but you have a salvation so glorious that angels are captivated by it. The word look that Peter uses when he says things into which angels long to look, it means to stoop down, literally to crane your neck. Same word that's used like for walking through a doorway that's too small. In other words, Peter is saying that angels long to stoop down, they crane their necks to try to comprehend what you and I have. That's a weird way to say it. What in the world does that mean? What, what, why angels? What does that have to do with anything? Listen to me. Here's how glorious your salvation is. You have something that God doesn't offer to angels. There are only two kinds of angels. There are righteous angels and there are fallen angels. We call them demons. There is no such thing as an angel that has been redeemed from being fallen. God has given you something that he does not offer to angels. Think about it this way. If you were to meet an angel one day, we'd have a ton of questions. But that's not how that conversation would go. That angel would say, yeah, 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 whatever. Tell me what it's like to be forgiven by the Holy One. Let 
You have a salvation glorious enough to hope in. It's a salvation that is so glorious that prophets yearn to comprehend it. It's so glorious that the God sent the Holy Spirit to tell you about it. And it's a salvation so glorious that angels are captivated by it. So I ask you again, how glorious is your salvation? Because if we take a step back for a moment, we can see this this whole opening passage clearly. What the prophets predicted but could not understand, what the angels wonder at but never experience, we understand and experience every single day. It's a salvation that is kept in heaven. It's awaiting our arrival. It's a salvation that, that, that even trials only serve. It's so strong that even trials only serve to prove its metal. And it's a salvation that prophets and angels yearn to comprehend. And that is a salvation that is glorious enough to hope in. What does a a salvation that glorious look like in your life tomorrow? I don't know if any of you have ever done an exercise program called P90X. There's this little set of DVDs that you could get and there was a guy on there that would you, if you ever wanted to realize, you know, what a lazy bum you are, you could do this exercise program. For those of you who are younger, DVDs were these little silver discs <laughs> that you would put into a machine. One of the things the, the, the leader of this program would say at the beginning of all these videos is he'd say, get your mind right. And that was Spanish for sometime in the next 45 minutes, you're going to want to puke. So get your mind ready to do some hard things, some difficult things. Look at what Peter says this looks like in our lives. And let's just take a peek at verse 13. We'll see this next week. He says, therefore, meaning because of this salvation, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What Peter is telling us in these first 12 verses is get your mind right. Because throughout the rest of this letter, he's going to be calling us to do some very difficult things. If you'll remember, I I mentioned that the word suffer is used 21 times in just this short letter. So listen, before he moves forward, Peter wants you and I to know this for sure. It does not matter what God might call us to in this life as a result of our faith. Brothers and sisters, the salvation that we have in Christ is glorious enough to hope in no matter what the circumstance. Is God sifting your family right before your eyes? You have a salvation glorious enough to hope in. Have you done something wrong that you need to to have a difficult conversation or, or, or do something difficult? Make a change, something like that. You have a salvation glorious enough to hope in. Does God have you in the midst of a financial trial? You have a salvation glorious enough to hope in. Are you being ridiculed at work or at school because of your faith? You have a salvation glorious enough to hope in. Have you never called Jesus your Lord and Savior? 
This is a salvation glorious enough to hope in. It's a salvation so glorious that because of the hope we have in Jesus Christ, not only can we endure any trial we might encounter, any day, any time, bring it on world, we can thrive in it. We can be asked by others to explain the hope we have. That's what Peter will tell us in a few chapters. That's a salvation glorious enough to hope in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I simply pray that you would expand our hearts and our minds through whatever means necessary to grow our understanding of what we have through Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to show us the the majesty and the magnificence of your glory and your power and your mercy and your grace that you have shown us through Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would just give us a taste of what we are going to spend eternity worshiping you for. I pray, Lord, that that would land on our hearts so hard it would be so heavy that we couldn't help but tell others about you. The glory of the grace that you have shown us, the hope that we have because of your work through Christ, would be something that we could not contain. Father, because of everything that you have given us in Christ and because it is only in Christ that we have these promises that you have given us through your apostle Peter, it is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. How rich a treasure we possess in Jesus Christ our Lord. His blood our ransom and defense, His glory our reward. The sum of all created things is worthless in compare. For our inheritance is Him, whose praise angels declare. Stand with me, please, and let's sing about this great treasure we have.